coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast, brought to you by our great friends at MyBookie. If you haven't already, guys, make sure to go to MyBookie.ag right now and sign up for a brand new account. You want to get this done before March Madness gets here in about a month or so. And if you are signing up for a brand new account, make sure you use our promo code UGA and you'll get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. So don't waste any more time. Jump in on this deal today. But all right, guys, I am your host, Tyler, and it's been a minute. It's been too long. So we are diving back into the Glory UGA listener mailbag today. I think it's been close to a month, at least three-ish weeks, and that is just too long to go without running a listener mailbag. So that is exactly what we are doing today, and we've got a bunch of good questions. I actually have to go catch a plane here in about... An hour, maybe, so I don't want to waste any more time. Let's go ahead and jump into these questions right now. Off the top with our question of the day, we've got a question from Lawson. I appreciate it, man. And Lawson asks, where would you rank Carson Beck among the top quarterbacks in the country in 2024? Obviously, we are all very, very excited that Carson is returning, and this is going to be probably a popular question as we get closer and closer to the season, so I figured why not? Let's go ahead and get a head start on it with Lawson's question here today. Look, I know that this is a Georgia podcast, and I know what I'm going to get accused of right now. I'm going to get accused of blatant homerism, and that's fine. Hit me with your best shot. But I'm going to say right here, right now, among the returning quarterbacks in college football this season, Carson Beck has got to be at the top of that list. He's got to be number one entering the 2024 season. Now, as we get into the season and games actually start to get played, if there is somebody that elevates their game ahead of Carson Beck, I will gladly admit that. But right now, who is it? Who is that guy? I think there are a number of other really, really good quarterbacks. And I'm not going to say that Carson is head and shoulders above better than everybody else. Like it's Carson Beck and a massive gap and then everyone else. I'm not sitting here saying that, but I do think Carson did enough last year in his first full year as a starter, a year in which he wasn't even getting all the reps in spring practice and fall camp because he was still in the midst of a quarterback battle. This year, it will certainly be a very different story for him as he is the undisputed starter. He will be getting not all of the reps with the number one offense. You got to give your backup a couple of those, but he'll be getting the vast majority of those reps with the number one offense in a way that he wasn't necessarily last season, at least leading into the season. So yeah, sure. There are probably other quarterbacks that will elevate their game this year and, and will certainly make a push to be the top quarterback in the country. Carson's not going to sit there stagnant himself. He's going to elevate his game. He will be a better version of himself. This guy did not come back just because he loves University of Georgia. Sure, that was probably a, a some part of it. The idea that he wants to win a national championship and get us back to the promised land and be the guy to do that. There's certainly something there as well. But this guy came back to improve his NFL draft stock. This guy is on a mission to win, but also improve his own standing heading into the NFL to the point that maybe he could be the number one overall draft pick. Now, we're a long way from that. We have a a whole nother NFL draft before we get the one he'll be in, but that's certainly probably part of the calculus here with him coming back. But if you want to look at this from a metric standpoint, you don't trust the eye test, you don't trust my 
quote unquote homerism. That's fine. Let's go look, look at the total QBR numbers from last year. I know this is not the be all end all stat for quarterbacks, but it does a pretty solid job of giving a, a total look at how the quarterback performs. So obviously last year, Heisman Trophy winner Jaden Daniels is at the top there. Bo Nix, number two, JJ McCarthy, number three. Dylan Gabriel, who is back this year, but he is going into a new offense, a new system, a, a new team, a new conference at Oregon going into the Big Ten. So he's a good quarterback, but Dylan Gabriel is not as good as Carson Beck. He's just not, not in my opinion. Noah Fafita at Arizona was right ahead of Carson. Carson was number seven in total QBR last year with a QBR of 85.2 and Fafita was 85.6, so one spot ahead of Carson Beck. And look, Fafita was very, very good for Arizona last year. But how much of that was Jed Fish and Jed Fish's offense? I mean, look, any quarterback, you have to have weapons to throw to. You have to have a good system you're working in, a good coordinator, good play color, all those things. And Carson, that certainly applies to him as well. But I'm interested to see what Noah Fafita will look like and how he will perform. Will he perform at the same level or a higher level? without Jed Fish. I thought he might go to Washington. He's not. Apparently, there's an NIL deal that they put on the table for him. It was enough to keep him in Arizona. So he is staying in Arizona. I I like Fafita. I think he's good. But Noah Fafita is not as good as Carson Beck. He played in a very different kind of offense. But if you ask me, okay, Tyler, is it Noah Fafita, Carson Beck? Who are you taking? I mean, it's without hesitation, Carson Beck, with what he was able to do last year, playing in a much more difficult league, playing against better competition, better players. Carson was a better decision maker. Carson was more consistently accurate, in my opinion. No offense to Noah Fafita, but again, yes, I would take Carson Beck. And then you look at a guy like Jalen Milrow, all right? Now, that that is, that is something that merits some consideration. Jalen Milrow, was not very good, in my opinion, for most of the season last year. They leaned into his strengths later in the year, which they should have been doing all year, but they took a while to get there. And then when they started leaning into his strengths, of course, they win the SEC Championship game. We all know that. Yay, cool, whatever. And then they go to the college football playoff, and they promptly lose to Michigan in the Rose Bowl. Jalen Milrow was not good in the Rose Bowl. And I, I stand by what I said about Jalen Milrow all last year. The guy is very much a work in progress as a passing quarterback. He has a hell of an arm. He is an insane athlete. I mean, what I ca- called him last year, he's a thoroughbred. That's what he is. He's a thoroughbred horse out there. I mean, he's just an athlete, dude. I mean, that guy is dynamic, dynamite with a ball in his hands. But he has a lot of room to improve when it comes to actually doing the little things that quarterbacks have to do. Understanding, just even diagnosing what a coverage is pre-snap and what they're doing post-snap. Understanding what a defense is trying to do to him. What are the answers to what they're showing you? Pressure packages, all of those things. He struggled with that mightily most of the season. Now, if you blitz the hell out of him and he's got a one-on-one opportunity outside and the offensive line was able to protect him or if he was able to escape the pressure long enough to give himself time to release that football yeah I mean he can put the ball out there and he completed a bunch of big passes down the field and that's really what his game was last year and look maybe under Kalen DeBoer they will unlock something there in Milrow as a passer now Ryan Grubb moving on they're promoting a guy who's called plays before at Indiana but not for Washington I, I have some questions there and you also have to think about the fit it took Alabama staff last season most of the year before they decided that, you know what we're just going to lean into what this guy does well we're going to play to his strengths is Washington going to do that from the jump I don't know I mean a big part of why you hire a guy like Kalen DeBoer is based off what he did at Washington which is putting up a dynamic offense. Ryan Grubb's now not a part of the team. He's going on to the NFL as an offense coordinator. And that offense was not built around a dual threat quarterback like Jalen Milrow. So it's an offense that requires the quarterback to beat you with his arm. Now, I'm not saying that they can't build an offense around Milrow's skill set. I'm just saying we don't really have evidence of Kalen DeBoer really doing that at this level. So right now with 
Carson Beck coming back to the same system, second year as a starter, all the weapons he has around him, the offensive line that he's going to have to work with, I would still take Carson Beck over Jalen Milrow. I know Alabama fans would disagree. That's fine. They can disagree. This is my podcast, so I'm going to go with Carson Beck. An interesting name would be Quinn Ewers. You guys know I've talked about Quinn Ewers before. I think he was much better last year, but as a, well, I guess it was a redshirt freshman, his first year as a starter at Texas, he was borderline dreadful. He was not good. And in big moments, he wasn't particularly good for Texas this year. I still have a lot of questions about him. Like, he's a talented guy, but his accuracy can come and go at times. When he throws a deep ball, it's an incredibly strange-looking deep ball. It's it's an air ball. Like, he just throws the ball to, like, outer space, and then the ball comes back down. Like, he puts so much arc on it, it's unbelievable. And sometimes it works out for him, sure. Often, though, it doesn't always work out that way. And he also, now, they did bring a lot of guys in from the transfer port at the receiver position, but he's losing his top three receivers from a year ago. And his top tight end. So yeah, I know you're bringing in some guys like Ryan Golden from Houston. You're bringing in some good players. Obviously, you're bringing in Isaiah Bond from Alabama. But they've got to get up to speed. All of them. There's not really many returning guys at the skill positions for them, at least in terms of tight ends and receivers. So if all of them are new, that's a little bit of a learning curve. So I, I don't know if how I feel about Texas's offense next year. I mean, they're going to be good. Steve Sarkeesian is just far too good of, a, of an offensive coach for them to be bad. I just don't know if they're going to be a, a dynamic caliber offense the way that some people might expect him to be with a guy that's as high profile as Quinn Ewers and Isaiah Bond coming over. I don't know. We'll see. But I would absolutely take Carson Beck over Quinn Ewers. He's been better in bigger games. He was far more consistent last year. So yes, give me Carson Beck. Jackson Dart, I know he had a nice, a much better year last year than he did in 2022, but he's just a very different kind of quarterback than Carson. It depends on, he's a, he's a guy that you, if you put him in the right system, like they have at Ole Miss, he can be a really, really effective quarterback, but he is still, a lot like Jalen Milrow, he's a work in progress as a passer. Basically what he works off of, I mean, it's, it's all, RP, no, I shouldn't say all, it's a lot of RPO action, he's not really reading full coverage, like full field coverages. It's a lot of one-man coverages, and he's just making one very quick, very simple read, and the ball's out of his hands. But again, in that offense, he's very effective because while he's not like the most dynamic runner, he's a a good enough runner, a powerful run, runner, a willing runner, a tough runner, and he's good enough in the RPO game. His accuracy can be coming; it can be come and go at times. Also, his decision making can be erratic at times. I think Brady Cook of Missouri really elevated his game last year, but my question is how much more does he have to raise his game? Like, is Brady Cook in some ways maxed out what he's capable of? I, I don't know. I, I would say, you know, coming in last year, you guys know I was not high on him because he had not shown anything close to being a, a, a competent quarterback. Last year, got to give the guy a lot of credit. He went to work, he changed his throwing motion, and he improved tremendously. Now, he did tail off at towards the end of the year, but he was still a very productive quarterback for them. One of the best years Missouri's had in a long time. Really one of the better years in Missouri football history. But Carson was a good bit better than Brady Cook last year. So why would this year be any different? So yes, give me Carson back there. So I mean, and the list goes on and on. There's a couple of other guys. You can talk about Riley Leonard. You can talk about Will Howard. I do not put them in the same conversation as, as Carson Beck. They haven't they haven't performed at that level. No, I just simply do not. So yeah, call me a homer, call me biased, whatever. But you know what? Coming into the season based off what they did what they did last year and also what they can project to be moving forward into the season. I think it's very fair to have Carson Beck ranked atop your quarterback power rankings entering the 2024 season. 
All right, guys, so that was our big picture question. But before we move on to the other questions, I do want to quickly again remind you about our great friends at MyBookie. Guys, we are inching closer and closer to March Madness. I know college football is behind us. It's been behind us. I know the NFL is behind us now. But right now, college basketball is taking center stage with the NBA all-star festivities this weekend as well but college basketball is really taking center stage right now and it'll be March before you know we're going to have conference tournaments we're going to have the NCAA tournament and you want to go ahead and start building up that bankroll a little bit so you can go crazy obviously responsibly but have a lot of fun during March the conference tournaments NCAA tournament so get started now at MyBookie just go to MyBookie.ag use that promo code UGA when you sign up for a brand new account and they will hook you up with a 50% bonus on your first deposit come on guys it's a no-brainer they're giving you free money to play with so jump on it while you can and bet anything anytime anywhere only with MyBookie Okay, guys, let's keep this train rolling. Our second question today comes from Henry, and this is kind of recent news. I'm sure a lot of you have seen this. There hasn't been a ton of talk about it yet, I guess really over the past two days, but Henry wants to know about the potential nine-game conference schedule in the SEC. So he asked, with the rumors of a nine-game conference schedule coming in the next few years, what is your take on the eight-versus-nine-game conference schedule? It's a great question, Henry. I really appreciate it, man. And this is something that we did touch on a good bit last summer. My thinking, I don't know if it's evolved too much, but obviously we've had quite a few months to sit on this, ruminate, think about it. And here's kind of where I stand with the eight-versus-nine-game conference schedule. I, I still am rather torn by it. I don't exactly know what I which way I lean, I guess, is what I would say here. Because I think there's there's positives and there's negatives to both. There's things that were really great about both of them, and there's some drawbacks. I would say for the nine-game conference schedule, for a long time I've wanted a nine-game conference schedule. And it just simply stemmed from me as a fan of college football. You guys know this if you listen to the podcast for a long time. I do not like the bye games. I do not like us playing Austin P. I do not like us playing Tennessee Tech. Like, who freaking cares about those games? And I know the argument for them. I know, I know, right? You get the starters some rest. You build depth. And those, all those programs, they rely on those paychecks so that they can keep their programs going. And you want to have opportunities for other players who aren't playing Power 5 football. I get all that, and I can empathize with that. I'm just telling you from a fan standpoint, a paying fan standpoint, who pays for season tickets every year, I hate them. Those games are just absolute duds. I mean, seriously, who freaking cares? Yeah, you get to see Georgia play, and that's why I'll go no matter what. And the, and that's the thing. They know they've got me. They know they've got people like me. We're going to go no matter what. So who cares? Like, let's go ahead and let's just get a, put a W up there on the schedule, and, and that's fine. Okay, whatever. But it it's not good for the paying customer. It's not. I want to see better football games. Hell, we only get 13 weeks in the regular season. I know 14 this year because we got the two buys with the way the schedule worked out. But we have about three months of college football, really. That's what we have. And I... When we have such a short time frame, when you wait so long for this and you love it so much and you're so passionate about it, I don't want any of those weekends to be wasted by ridiculous games like Tennessee Tech or Austin P or Charleston Southern, whoever, insert baby seal. So for that reason, I for a long time have been a proponent of let's go to nine conference games so that we just get better games. And also we can play more teams in the conference on a more regular basis. And, and for all those reasons, I was like, yeah, let, let's do this. But the more you think about it, I'm like, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. And here's why I, I don't know now. If we go to a nine-game conference schedule, one of the, the leading reasons why we would do that, well, a lot of it is driven by TV revenue. So we, the reason we didn't go to it this year is because we're trying to get ESPN to pony up and give us more money for more inventory, more conference inventory, better games, right? And when they do that, I'm pretty sure 
we're going to go to nine conference games. So maybe that's happening in 2026. When I think that's what they're saying now. Maybe we'll see. I don't know. All these are rumors right now. That's a big part of it. But the other part of it is you have teams like Georgia who have multiple rivals, longtime rivals in the conference, right? We've got Florida, we've got Auburn, we've got Tennessee, which is not as long standing of a rival, but it has become a nice rivalry. South Carolina, I mean, look, we dominate the rivalry, but it's a border rivalry. It's really, it's way more important to them than us to us. But it's, to me, it's always like, it's weird that we're not playing South Carolina every year now. That's just like my entire life, basically. Well, I guess since 92, since I've been like, cognizant of college football we have so another part of this is like if you go to nine games then we can have three permanent opponents and we can protect these traditional rivalries and look i am a college football purist in some ways i really love tradition i think that we are losing some of that a lot of that with all the changes that we've had in college football some of it is inevitable some of it's it's necessary i get that but i would like to retain as much as we can within reason and so yeah i would like i would love for us to be able to play yeah, Auburn and in Florida and Tennessee and South Carolina every year because that's just kind of that's what Georgia football's been for me like really my my entire life for the most part. But if we go to a nine game conference schedule and we do have three permanent opponents, if that's the way we go, and we don't have pods right, which is they've basically given up on that idea. That's not happening. We should be three permanent opponents if we go to the nine game conference schedule and that's what it is, right? Well, that introduces a lot of inequity into the SEC scheduling. And look, I know that there's always been inequity in scheduling. It's never going to be perfect. I understand that. The West was much stronger for a while. The East, once upon a time, was stronger. I understand there's been inequity in scheduling forever in the SEC. But if we have the opportunity to balance out the schedules more equally and make each team's path to the SEC championship and a potential berth in the college football playoff more equitable, I think that is something that we should think long and hard about. And I, I know like doing that means you might have to sacrifice some rivalries and that sucks. So I, this is why I say I don't know exactly where I stand on it because ultimately what I care about more than anything is Georgia. It's Georgia football. It's Georgia getting to the college football playoff. It's what's good for Georgia. That's what care. That's what I care about. Like I, I care about the rivalries against Auburn. I care about the rivalry against Florida. And I, I think we'll play Florida every year no matter what. I care about all those things. I really, really, really do. I care about the tradition. But again, I care more about what's best for Georgia competitively. And I don't know if going to the nine conference game schedule and us playing, I guess it would be Auburn, Florida. And I, last year, the conversation was Kentucky every year, Kentucky, whatever. Um, but Auburn and Florida, I know they're both down right now. But you know, if you look over the course of the past 15, 20 years, Auburn and Florida have been two of the better programs in the SEC. And they can at any point jump back up. And those can be two really, really difficult games for us every single year. Whereas a team like Tennessee, yeah, they might play Alabama every year. And what is Alabama going to be without Nick Saban? I mean, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but they, so they get Vanderbilt every year? Like, well, that's that's ridiculous. Like, whoever gets Vanderbilt, like, you, clear, you have a very clear advantage. Whoever gets Mississippi State every single year, you have a very clear advantage. I mean, even Arkansas. Whoever gets Arkansas every single year for the most part, you have a very clear advantage when it comes to the conference race and getting to the college to well to the SEC championship first, and then the college football playoff. Because now with us getting rid of divisions, it's the top two teams. And so if we have these these three traditional rivalries that, and permanent opponents that every team has, some teams are going to have a more difficult path to get to the SEC championship game. And I think that we 
potentially down the road could be one of those. Now, again, right now, if it's Kentucky, Auburn, and Florida, that doesn't look all that daunting. I get the here and now, but let's not get trapped in the moment. What is the potential of Auburn and Florida? They have the potential to be, you know, top of top of college football type teams. And they have both been that in the last 15-ish or so years at various points. Whereas teams like, I mean, I know Missouri had a good year this year. Missouri's never really that team. Ole Miss, for the most part. Mississippi State, Arkansas. Those teams are never going to be among the, the, the teams that are going to be can, talked about as the best teams in the country. They're just not ever going to be. So somebody's going to get the benefit of the doubt and get to play those teams. And that's not always equitable. But again, like, can you have perfect equity? No, probably not. But... I would argue, like, why not try to get as close to it as we possibly can? And again, I know that means sacrificing some of the tradition, and that hurts me. That hurts my heart. I hate that. So I don't know. I am very, very torn on this. I think what I would I would love is if we just did an eight-game conference schedule and play Florida every year. I don't care as much about Auburn as some people do. I know it's the Deep South's oldest rivalry. I understand the tradition. I go there every other year, guys. I I, I know. I get it. But they don't. They, I just never felt that type of way about Auburn as I have with like Florida. I mean, I actually don't, I hate Tennessee more than I hate Auburn to be quite honest with you. So I would be willing to, to sacrifice that rivalry. I know some people would not, especially people that are over there in, in West Georgia. I know that they would not agree with that. And that's cool. Everyone has their own opinions on this, but I would be willing to, to potentially sacrifice that if it was better for Georgia competitively to get to the college football playoff and win national championships. But if we went to an eight game conference schedule, I would, I would, I would really like in my perfect world's eight game conference schedule and each Power five team comes to some sort of agreement. This isn't this point. Well, I don't say never happen, but it's not going to happen right now. But each power five team would only play one other team that's not a power five team. Like you would play 11 power five games and you'd have one bye game. That's my perfect world. That would be, I think, best for the fans. And when it comes to like SEC play, getting the SEC championship game and getting to the, uh, the, the playoffs, potential national championship, I think that would be competitively better for us, especially if everyone's doing it, right? Again, I don't know when that will happen or if that will ever happen, but that would be my perfect ideal world. So there you go. I know that's not much of an answer, but those are kind of my thoughts on that that question of the eight versus nine game schedule right now. All right, moving on here. Let's go to a question from Ben. Always appreciate it, buddy. Ben asked, what are you hearing on Ryan Pluglisi? Because I'm hearing things. Ben, I got to admit, man, when you sent this question, when I saw this, I was like, uh-oh, did I, what did I miss? Like, I was freaking out. I was like, did I miss something? Like, uh, I was like, did he get arrested? Oh, please, God, dear God, no. And so I don't think that's the case because I haven't heard anything like that. So I, I think you're looking at it from the opposite end of the spectrum because that's what I'm hearing is that he is bawling out right now. And look, you can only ball out so much when you haven't had spring practice, right? But all the things that he can do, this guy has been showing that he is going to be probably the quarterback of the future. And when is the future? I don't know, but I just, I keep hearing people rave about him around town here. I mean, that's just, that's all I can really say. I mean, when I'm talking about raving about him, I'm talking about his work ethic behind the scenes, always in the facility, always watching film, working out leadership qualities out there, bowl practices. Like he was actually approaching, like he was preparing to be the starter, even though obviously he was not going to be the starter, nowhere close to that, couldn't even actually play in the game, but his work habits, practice habits, leadership, the guy just is everything that I thought he was, at least to this point, coming out of high school. Now, again, he hasn't played one snap of even like a G-Day game of, of spring practice. So there's a long way to go here. But all the things that you would want to hear about a guy at that position at this point after being on campus for like two, three months, 
I've been hearing about him. And even when you see like some of the players on social media talk about him, I mean, I, I don't talk to the players, but I don't really know the players and some people behind the scenes, but I don't know the players, but you just hear what they say on social media. They're echoing a lot of things that I have been hearing behind the scenes. So it, there seems to, to be some, some truth to it. There's some legs to it. So I'm very excited about him. I mean, he's not going to start this year, obviously, but next year is going to be one hell of a battle. Look, I'm not getting up on Gunnar Stockton. Gunnar, you say a lot of the same things about Gunnar Stockton as well. So it's just going to be a hellacious battle. It's going to be awesome to watch and let the best man win. But yeah, Puglisi, I'm hearing stud. That's basically what I'm hearing. He is a freaking stud. All right, next up, we have a question from Nick. So Nick asks, who is the best transfer of the Kirby Smart era? That's a great question. So obviously the transfer portal is um, kind of taking over college football. It's just completely revolutionizing sport, obviously, along with NIL. So there's been a lot of transferring going on. We haven't taken as many as some other teams. We've t- definitely taken some. Now, my first thought when seeing this question was Devontae Wyatt. But does he classify as a transfer? So we got him from JUCO, right? So we got him from Hutchinson Community College back in like 2018. I mean, he was a first-round pick, and he was a, a key cog in our first national championship in, in 41 years. So if we classify Devontae Wyatt as a transfer, then I would say Devontae Wyatt. But is he a transfer in the truest sense? Like he's not obviously not coming from a, a Power 5 school or even like a, a G5 school. He's coming from JUCO. So I don't know if you would classify him as that. So I, I, I probably would. So I would go Devontae Wyatt. But outside of Devontae Wyatt, I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe recency bias here, but... Would it be Dominic Lovett or maybe Tyke Smith? Tyke Smith, would probably, I would probably go Tyke over Dom to this point because Tyke was, you know, all SEC, all SEC caliber player last year and was just so good for us at the star position. So if I can't say Devontae Wyatt, I guess I would go Tyke Smith with a nod to Dom Lovett. And I mean, we saw some really good things from Rara Thomas before the injury. But yeah, I think Tyke Smith, if it's not Devontae Wyatt, so yeah, I know that's a short answer, but I, I mean, we haven't taken a ton of major impact transfers. A few guys here and there, but yeah, th- th- those are probably the guys that I would look at. All right, next I've got a question from D.A. Cooper. You guys know that I was not ripping on, but I was I had some concerns about the defensive line last year and have said as much after the season that the biggest difference between the 2022 and 2023 Georgia football teams was the defensive line was not nearly as dominant as it had been, right? So... With that in mind, D.A. Cooper asks, do you think our defensive line will improve next season? Yes, the answer is yes, D.A. Cooper. I do believe that we will be better on the defensive line for a couple of reasons. We do get two of our our key guys back this season with Warren Brinson and Nazir Stackhouse. That's huge. Now, I like, are they going to be dominant difference makers, the caliber of like Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, and, and Jalen Carter? No, I think we, we know more or less what they're what they're capable of. They, can they raise their game a little bit? Yes, yes, they can. And I expect them to. I expect them to be better in their final season here in Athens, but I also don't expect them to elevate their game to where they're, we're talking about like all-American status. Okay? I, I don't think that either guy has that in them, but I do think they will be better this year for us. So that's one thing. And then we had a bunch of young guys last year who were just getting their feet wet. And they they flashed at moments, and then they had they had their young freshman moments. I'm talking about guys like Jordan Hall, but in particular Christian Miller. I I'm so high on Christian Miller, guys. And I told you guys this last season. Look, he wasn't perfect. I, I think he was playing largely out of position. I think he's more of a three tech guy. But with the personnel that we had last year, we played him more as a nose, which is not really what he's not the traditional type of nose that we use in our scheme. He's just not that spacing type guy. He's more of a quickness penetrator, one gap kind of guy. 
And I thought he was as disruptive of an interior defensive lineman as we have. I thought it was him and Warren Brintz. I think they're similar in their skill sets and their styles. I do think that potentially Christian Miller has a higher ceiling than Warren Brintz. And the comparison I made last year with Christian Miller was Tyler Clark. I think that he is a, I don't say carbon copy of Tyler Clark, but he just so much reminds me of him. And not even just the number, just like their body type, the way they move out there and their skill set. He is, he's Tyler Clark to me. And Tyler Clark was awesome for us. Was he All-American? No, but he was really, really, really good for us. So I expect Christian Miller to take a big jump this year and be more of kind of what Tyler Clark was for us this year. So I expect him to be a big time player for us. I think Jordan Hall is also going to take a big step forward this year. We need him to. Um, He's a five-star coming out of high school and he's got the potential. It's just a matter, he wasn't always playing fast last year because he didn't always know what to do. And when he wasn't playing fast, he got, you know, pancakes sometimes. When he he was just out there playing free and playing fast, like, He's he's got the he's got the, the strength he's got the speed the quickness all of those things and they got big jaw Jamal Jair I think is going to give us a big 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 boost at the zero tech backing up Nazir Stackhouse I mean I think his ceiling is higher than Nas's I mean I feel confident saying that it's just a matter of work habits and last year he had to get his body in shape and had to improve his work habits and from all accounts he's done that he's really matured so I'm very very hopeful that he can take a big step forward this year even though he didn't really play much worse I thought he did some good things in the bowl game against Florida State in Miami so yeah I think we have some young guys that either didn't play for us at all last year or played a little bit and we're kind of up and down that are going to be more impactful for us this year and we have the guys that are returning that I think will take at least a slight step forward this year so yes I do believe that we will be improved on the defensive line are we going to be what we were in 2021 no do not expect that I don't expect that I mean also Xavier McLeod gotta mention him I don't know what to expect from him this year because he just practiced about half a year with South Carolina but he's a talented guy how quickly can he get up to speed we'll find out so I think we have more options that are going to be able to actually impact games for us this year again not 2021 level, but maybe closer to what we were in 2022 if somebody really steps up and emerges. And no one's going to be Jalen Carter, but even remotely close to that where a team has to start game planning around you. That was the thing last year. We had nobody on the defensive line that any offensive coordinator had a game plan around. We just didn't. Can we have that next year? Potentially. There are some options there. We have to see them elevate their game, but the potential does certainly still exist for that. All right, guys, before we move on, I do remind you about our great friends at Alumni Hall. The weather is kind of turning warm, at least this week, but I am heading up to the Windy City this weekend. I'm very excited about it. I love Chicago. And uh, I had to, you know, it's cold there, y'all. It's about 30 degrees. So I had to go get some warm weather gear from Alumni Hall. Got to show off my Georgia pride. And of course, they always do. They hooked me up. And I got myself a nice hoodie. I got a nice fleece, Q-zip. And I am ready to rock the G up there in Chicago this weekend. So whether you're going to Chicago, whether you're going on a skiing trip, or you're just here in Georgia, wherever you are, and it gets kind of cold, they got so much great cold weather gear, guys. I was shocked at how much they have. They always have great stuff, but I was blown away at the selection this time. I was up in there two days ago. So do yourself a solid, guys, and stop in Alumni Hall inside the Epsbridge Shopping Center here in the Classic City or online at alumnihall.com because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. All right, guys, let's get back to it here. And next up, we have a recruiting question, and we'll get into a lot more recruiting as the offseason wears on. But right now, we have kind of a big picture recruiting question. This comes from Alexander. Always appreciate you, buddy. Alexander asks, as far as football recruiting goes, who are the big recruits to know in the 2025 cycle? What are the positions of need? So yeah, there are some big names out there that we need to land. And look, to me, speaking of defensive line, 
on the last question, that is a major position of need for us in terms of finding an impact player. I'm talking like a difference-making impact guy. Maybe Jordan Hall can be that. Maybe Christian Miller. Maybe Ja Jarrett. Maybe. We don't know yet. We need some dudes again on the defensive line. Yeah, you can go to the transfer portal. That's fine. But let's get some homegrown dudes. And there's two guys that almost can't miss for us. Like, we cannot miss on them. Justice Terry who's already on our commit list. He's 6'5", 275 right now at Manchester here in Georgia. And then Elijah Griffin, another in-state guy. He's a Savannah kid. He's number three player overall nationally. Uh, 6'4", 270 right now. At least that's what he listed at. But he's, I mean, these guys will be 300 pounds when they get to Georgia. Uh, from everything I understand, we do lead for Griffin. But there's, I mean, we're talking about a top five player, guys. So, I mean, this is going to be a battle all cycle long. So we just can't miss on them. We cannot miss on Griffin and Terry. We've got to get those guys. So it's probably the top two of my, at the top of my board because it is a position of need and they are elite in-state players at a position of need. You cannot miss on those guys. Just put that out there. Uh, Julian Lewis, Juju Lewis out of Carrollton. He has now reclassified. He was a 2026 kid. Now he's a 2025 kid. He's committed to USC right now. We know that he's certainly been shopping around. He was here in Athens a couple weeks ago for a visit. So that, I mean, in-state kid, I don't know if we'll land him. I don't no, now I will say with us missing on Dylan Riola, or I don't know if missing is the right word, technically, I guess, but the whole Dylan Riola saga and Riola not being here on campus, does that open the door for a, a big time five star prospect like Julian Lewis? It certainly might make us a little bit more attractive. I, I, don't, I would not call us a leader here at this point, but the window is open, the door is open for us to have that possibility there. He's at least listening. So that's something to watch there. And, and that's not a necessarily a deal breaker, but a, a guy that talented in state. You'd love to land him, certainly. Uh, another guy that I love, you guys know I love my inside linebackers, Zayden Walker, man, oh, out of Schley County. This dude can play, man. I mean, I cannot wait to see this guy as a senior, but he's like about 6'2", 220, 225 right now. He's also a big-time player, top 10, five-star player in the country. I feel very strong about us landing him, but I don't know for sure. And it's not, again, you talk about top ten player, that's going to be a freaking battle. But and look, we're loaded. This that's that's the concern. We're loaded at inside linebacker. So does he look at that room and say, where where do I fit in? Obviously, there's gonna be some negative recruiting on, on that front from other programs that are gonna say, hey man, we need you. Georgia just wants you. We need you. So I, I know what the the, the cell is gonna be, the pitch is gonna be from other programs. But that's a guy like man, like. Do we need him as much other programs? Probably not with what we have in our inside linebacker room, but as loaded as we are, guys will transfer out and you just got to stay loaded, man. And like an in-state guy, top 10 player in the country, it's that talented, as quick, athletic, explosive as he is. You can't miss on a guy like that. So there's just a couple of names. We'll dive into this a lot more in the coming weeks and months, but I just want to give you guys a little primer there, some big names to be watching for as we get into this 2025 recruiting cycle. All right, Samuel has a question. Uh, this is a great question. This is outside of Georgia football. So, you know, I love my Georgia sports. doesn't matter. Georgia football, all of them. So Samuel asks, what will be the next Georgia program other than football to win a national championship? I know that this is not going to make you guys happy because you want to be basketball, you want to be baseball, you want to, want to be one of the big three. I get that, but I don't think that we're close to the other two big three outside of football. Not right now. Uh, are we getting better? Yes. Are we going to win national championships in the next year or two? Probably not, right? For me, and you guys know I'm a big Georgia tennis guy, I'm going to say Georgia women's tennis. We have been knocking on the door, guys. And in 2019, we were the best team in the country most of the season. We were undefeated forever. Uh, we, we made it to the championship game, championship match, I should say, 
against Stanford. We came up short in that championship match. I was up there in Lake, or down there, I should say, in Lake Nona, right outside of Orlando. And that was a tough one to watch, man. Because uh, I watch all their home matches. I go, it's amazing. I love college tennis. It's like the best kept secret in college sports. And more people need to be watching this. And actually, they will, because I think ESPN signed a deal gonna show, showing some of these sports that are outside of the big three on a more consistent basis. But Georgia women's tennis is right there, guys. So, I mean, Katarina Jokic was our number one singles player for a while. She's moved on, and we've had a, quite a run with her. Uh, Leah Maz moved on as well, but we still have a very strong core of players that have been around for a while. And Drake Bernstein is a new head coach, taking over for Jeff Wallace. And Drake is a, he's a stud, man. I mean, the the roster that we have now. I mean, obviously Jeff is a legend, legendary coach. But you know, as he got a little older, and it's, it's, you lean more on Drake as the assistant coach to take on more of the recruiting burden. And Drake is heavily responsible for the roster looking the way that it has. So. Yeah, we, we made the run to the national championship match in 2019. We were in the final four last year. We lost to North Carolina, who was the eventual national champion. We pushed them. We pushed them. We won the doubles point, actually, and which we struggled with last year. So final, we were a final four team last year. I think we were a final four caliber again this year. We, we lost a tough match on the road to North Carolina, and that's a, just a ridiculously talented team, and they're just insane. They, they have pros on that team. So they are awesome. Uh, we lost a really closely contested match, 4-3, at Texas, who's a top-10 team. But then we had two top-10 victories in national indoors last week, taking down Florida and AM, who were the top two contenders for our SEC crown. And we showed them what's up. We showed them we still run this conference. So two nice top-10 victories last week. And uh, look, I don't know if we're going to win the national title this year, but we have... The core of this team, they're not even seniors yet. Like we don't we don't have a senior on the team. And a lot of these girls have been around for a while. So that's the team I would watch with a group that we have now with Drake recruiting the way that he's recruited. And obviously, having being young, having energy out there, and we're, we're, we had the renovations to the indoor facility. So I would say Georgia women's tennis. I would have said Georgia men's tennis this year if things had worked out the way that they were supposed to work out, but they didn't. And we're going to get to that in the next question. So coming up next here, a question from F3 Skinner, who asks, what is going on with the men's tennis program 4040 and back-to-back matches? Yes, last weekend was not great for us uh, on the men's side. We lost 4-0 on the road at Virginia, who is a top 10 team. Virginia is awesome, top five team, really. And then we lost um, to North Carolina 4-0 two days later. So not a banner weekend for the Georgia men's tennis team. But here's the thing, guys. Don't freak out about Georgia men's tennis right now. I know I spent the last year or so saying that the future is bright, because it and it still very much is. It's just taking a little bit of a detour to getting to where we are going to ultimately end up getting. So here's the deal. Ethan Quinn was the best singles player in the country last year, probably the best tennis player in the country last year. He won the singles national title. That's what I'm talking about. As a freshman, he decided to go pro. Okay, that sucks. You know, that wasn't part of the plan, but he decides to go pro. Can't blame him. It is what it is. I, I love Ethan. Good luck to him. But more than just that, we had two studs, two blue chip recruits coming in. One kid out of California, um, his name is Alex Mickelson. Uh, Manny Diaz's son, Eric, is actually was his private coach out there in California. And that was kind of the connection. And this guy is already top 100 in the freaking world. He had a hellaciously good summer. He decided he just was going to go pro and not come to college. And now he's top 100 in the world. So that sucks. Uh, we were supposed to have him and Ethan on courts one and two. And that's we would have basically been unbeatable. Like this is, We just would have lost. I think we might have gone undefeated. That's crazy. And then there's this guy named Ignacio, Ignacio Buse, Busey. I don't know exactly how to pronounce his last name. Um, he's a South American player who was also a blue chip guy who decided to go pro. So we've, we're going to have those three guys on our top three courts. And not one of them is on the roster now. So what that means is all the other players on the team all had to move up three courts. So the guy that's playing court one for us right now, Thomas Paulso, is a good player. And he was, the, he was a top five player in the country you know, years ago out of Washington. 
he was supposed to basically play court four for us this year. That dude is having to play court one. That is tough. That is very, very difficult. I mean, and he, and he like, he, give you a more of a frame of reference here. Thomas Paulsell in two years in Athens has not even been in the singles or the doubles lineup at any point. He just hasn't been. Like, he had a few, some guys were hurt and he played a little bit, but he's not been, like, when everyone's healthy, he's not been in the singles or the doubles lineup. And this year he's playing court one for us. Mm-hmm. Really good player. And I'm excited about his future. And he's, he's working hard and he's going to be awesome for us. But he's not Ethan Quinn right now, right? He's not Alex Mickelson. He's just not those guys. And it's not his fault he's being forced to play court one right now. But that, that's the situation we're in. Now, we have a really, really good young group of players. We, guys, we're starting three true freshmen in our singles lineup right now. And Cyrus Majou. Freddie Blades coming from England, and uh, Niles Ratu, I think is how you pronounce it, Niels Ratu uh, is a Belgian player, so those guys are going to be awesome for us, and I've seen them play, they're going to be really, really good, but they're freshmen right now, playing what I think is the toughest tennis league in the country, that's very, very difficult, it's a lot to ask, so that's why I can't say the men's tennis program right now, it's going to take a couple years to get those guys, but hey, you know, when they give them a couple years, we keep recruiting the way that we're recruiting, and we're going, we're going to be good. We're going to be all good. Like, by the time the, the tournament comes back here, the NCAA tournament comes back in 2026, yeah, the guys will be right on schedule. It's just, it, there's going to be some bumps in the road right now. So that's why it's not the guys, and that's kind of what's going on right now. So don't freak out. There's nothing wrong with the program. In fact, the program is in such good shape. We were recruiting the best players in the country. They were so good, they went pro. I mean, that's what happened. So we are in very, very good shape. We'll be fine. We were in great hands with Manny and Jamie as well. So don't worry about that. I know it's kind of startling to see that, but that's what's going on with men's tennis. But um, all right, guys, that's it for me today. That's all. I've got for you. I've got to get out of here and uh, drive to Atlanta. Yay. Love Atlanta, right? And hop on a plane, head to the Windy City. But I appreciate you guys. I will be back next week. We'll have more great coverage for you. We'll talk some Georgia football, baseball, basketball. A lot of great stuff. Opening day for Georgia baseball this weekend. We got Florida at home on Saturday. I'm bummed I'm not going to be here for that, but I'll definitely be watching it in Chicago at a sports bar up there. So, yeah. Enjoy the weekend, guys. Have a good one. As always, go dawg.